0: This is a special episode of the immunology podcast immunology 2023 day four hey everyone this is dr jason goldsmith and dr brenda Roud. welcome back to the immunology podcast where we have conversations with immunologists today we are back with our fourth special episode from immunology 2023 as always we'll be discussing our favorite sessions throughout the past 24 hours of the meeting so if you weren't able to attend we've got you covered we're going to kick off things in just a minute but before we get to that
1: Looking for a quick reference that you can hang on your lab wall? Stemso Technologies has various wall charts covering different immunology topics, including a snapshot of COVID-19, an overview of antigen processing and presentation, and more. Explore all the immunology wall charts and order your free copy at com forward slash immunology world chart.
0: All right. Well, it's our last day here, a full day. We have a half day tomorrow and a uh, big day covered a bunch.
1: What a day. I mean... Also, we had uh, some recordings today. We got to see a lot of people and talk to a lot of people.
0: Yeah, so that, that'll be an episode coming out in June sometime, I think. And then we got the gala tonight, too.
1: So, Jason, what was the highlights of the scientific sessions today for you?
0: All right. Well, the, they're getting more condensed from day to day. We seem to be in a concentration gradient here. <laughs> so I, I went to Major Symposia F on myeloid cells. And there were a couple really cool talks. There was Jessica Hammerman talked about a TLR7 overexpression mouse and presented some previous data that it had enlarged spleens and increased glomerular nephritis. Uh, and then described really as the next step that they've been identifying that there's these splenic hemophagocytes that are coming up here that are very unique to this IL7 overexpression. And they have linked this to juvenile uh, arthritis with this spontaneous macrophage activation syndrome and seeing it there. And so that's becoming a really interesting model for that. And They're starting to get some therapeutic targets from it. In particular, IRF5 deficiency seems to protect from this. So that's kind of where they're starting to go down. So more to come, but it was cool to see. Um, Ping Loke, Loke uh, then talked about how hemoliths protect from SARS-CoV-2 infection. And so one of the interesting things in the pandemic is Africa never had the um, death rates that were seen in Europe and the U.S. and other parts of the world. And wondering why. Was this underreporting? But doesn't actually look to be that way, at least not all of it. And what they found is that hemolith infections, so hookworms, things like that, can infect via T-cell, acti- have a protective effect via T-cell activation leading to macrophage activation. So what they see is that in the case where you have a hemoth infection, this in mice and correlate with human data, that uh, you have more CD8 positive T cells, and these lead to an alternatively activated macrophage at tw- day 28, persistently out afterwards. And this macrophage type is better at killing um, infectious respiratory viruses. And in particular, they were able to demonstrate as alveolar macrophages are required for this effect using an intranasal ablation process, where they did intranasal siRNA and really knocked out that compartment of macrophages. What was interesting is they talked about how they originally started with the wrong hemolyth model in in mice and one that only stayed in the intestine and that didn't have the lung component and they had to move it to one that had the similar you know intestine and lung life cycle to get the effect in the lung that was protective. So that was neat just from like a model organism story. And then Paul Cubes in this talk had a talk about how uh, they're looking at resident macrophages And he was really tracking a couple different things. So once you establish that macrophages in the lungs can move across alveoli, and that wasn't known before, so he had some really cool videos of that. And also showing how monocytes can move into inflammatory areas to become macrophages. And he described in, this happens in large vessels during fibrosis, liver fibrosis. And then these clusters look like giant cells, and they probably are giant cells surrounded by stellates. But this is kind of an importance of how giant cells are formed. And then this last part of his story was that there's these cupra cells in the liver, right? These macrophage-like cells. And there's an importance in their location near the sinusoid. And so one interesting thing is in babies, the livers don't work the same. And he was able to show that E. coli catching in liver newborns is poor, but it gets better over time. And he's able to actually link that directly to the cupra cells migrating and establishing residence in the sinusoids of the liver. So those are the main talks. And then I got to get some some papers. Poster. Poster, sorry, yeah, poster, almost the same thing. Differentially expressed, right? You know, different different level of you know terminal differentiation. Yeah. But that being said, um, the the poster I saw that was really cool is all these microbiome studies where hey, this bacteria is good, this bacteria is bad in this condition, and we know that vancomycin ablation of bacteria leads to like a hyperinflammatory state due to decreased Bacteroides as one of the two major species of gram positives that it'll ablate. And this paper linked actually that there's a specific bacterial uh, lipoprotein or lipoglycoside really, it's, it's kind of a complex molecule, but it's bacterial metabolite that actually is what activates cells and decreases, you know, so its presence decreases TLR signaling and TNF tone. And so you can give the mice the vanco and if you give this instead, you can keep them on the vanco and it recapitulate, you, you, they stop looking like vanco-fed. Mice. So it's it's recapitulating the effects of the microbiome without the microbiome being present by identifying some of these metabolites that have these signaling effects on our body. So it's really cool to see that this has started to happen more and more in the field, but really being able to identify key molecules that the microbiome are acting through, right? Sometimes it's stuff on the surface of them, but sometimes it's metabolites. And so it's neat pharmacology to see. So that was my day mostly, besides all our awesome recording we did.
1: Yeah. All right. Very interesting. So I. Um, went first to the major symposium E, engineering at the interface of immunology and immunotherapy. And I liked the talk from Jeffrey Hubble from the University of Chicago, in which he was talking about engineering cytokines to modulate regio-specific function. I was, I think the idea, the general idea was quite simple, and is binding cytokines to small molecules or proteins to just affect their location and where they are homing and how that is useful. And so the idea is how we, for example, can we make uh, tumors hot? And you can do that through targeting certain cytokines. How can we retain effector cytokines in tumors? And he used an example of uh, collagen binding domains, which as the name suggests, kind of co-localize with collagen and bind collagen. And so he uses that for for example, doing an IL-12 therapy that will have a, a IL-2 fused to this uh, collagen-binding domain, CBD. And he shows that by doing this fusion protein, it can really direct the IL-12 towards the tumor specifically or more kind of um, increase and more enriched in the tumor. Um, And that this actually does, uh, this cytokine is functional and is inducing different gamma expression in in the tumor microenvironment. And this really helps uh, enhance the rejection of uh, melanoma tumors in mice uh, while really uh, having minimal um, systemic effects, which is the issue with IL-12 is really good for inducing uh, immune response, but then you have the whole systemic uh, effects are very, can be quite crippling for the therapy um, and he also shows that this you can combine this with checkpoint uh, inhibition uh, and you can make really uh, make a cold tumor hot by using the the uh, CBD uh, fused IL12 and again uh, the toxicity the systemic toxicity is reduced and you have you see reduced uh, levels of effector cytokines in the serum showing that kind of all the action happens in the tumor. And he also gives other examples, for example, by binding uh, uh, to serum albumin. So for example, if you do this with l 10 you can increase the lifetime of the cytokine. And then he gives the example also of IL-33, uh, which um, binds to a receptor called ST2 that is expressed in FOXP3 positive cells in T-rex. And he shows that by having IL-33 that is bound to fuse to serum albumin, um, he can treat, Actually treat T Rex uh, and use them to protect against um, uh, a model of MS in mice EAE, and that this, despite IL thirty three sometimes being associated with effector uh, effector uh, function, he can kind of by using low doses uh, specifically target the T Rex and actually reduces. Uh, Lucas had infiltration in spinal cord and reduces the kind of the development of EAE in mice, uh, and also can also be helpful if you no, know, if you use this EAE model, you you induce it by MUG uh, in by vaccination with a MUG peptide, so to induce a response against MUG, and this also helps kind of the chronic phase of the disease. So very interesting. Um, then there was another talk. Uh, by Evan Scott at Northwestern uh, University, uh, in which he was uh, engineering synthetic nano carriers for targeted immune modulation. And I have to say, it was a lot of chemistry, and a lot of uh, but it was very interesting. He he really pushed the idea of using fully synthetic nano carriers. So you know um synthetic polymers that like lipids would have a, a hydrophilic and a hydrophobic so like like um yeah these lipids are used for for making like nanolipid lipid particles for for transporting uh, small molecules or peptides or whatever and so he he shows that by choosing carefully the kind of synthetic polymers that are used to make these uh particles he can really um Target specific areas in the mouse, and he can really um, he he tries to use this in order to target dendritic cells in kind of a vaccination strategy, and um, so he has this particular system which is a peg PPS system in which we had a polyethylene glycol so peg which is hydrophilic and a PPS po- polypropylene sulfide which is hydrophobic, and he shows that by tweaking the proportions between the two he can make all types of structures like of different level of complexity he can make like and one of the things he makes that is kind of interesting is a is a tubular structure uh that has the payload inside and then as it degrades it uh, releases like little missiles uh with the payload inside and that you can kind of um, Pace the release of the active compound that's inside this, this polymeric structure. And he tries this, for example, examples that he gives is to target antiparasite compounds for tagas disease. Another thing that he talks about is using decoy particles to, uh, when because one of the things, if you have liver or uh, certain uh, macrophages, they're very keen on uh, taking up these particles. So he suggests that if you do a first a treatment with a decoy uh, particle, and then you fill up and you put this, this inside these particles uh, compounds that reduce a uh, pinocytosis by this this target cells. Then you can do a second round with your actual real compound, and then all these cells are going to be kind of taken and will not uh, remove your your particle of interest from circulation and uh, allowing it to get to the actual uh, site of 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 uh, action. So basically. Was a lot of examples like this, very interesting. Um, how we can choose different uh synthetic polymers to target uh, compounds and, and and peptides and and antigens to different kinds of cells. And after was also the talk um from uh Jennifer Elisif from John Hopkins, and he was she was also talking about uh immune stromal crosstalk, and it was a very complex uh, talk, but I think. Uh, the, the takeaway was that she was looking into healing after tissue injury and particularly uh, when you have uh, implants or uh, some kind of implanted uh, material and that often the wound healing around this material is, can be in, improper and you get scarring, you don't get proper healing. And he shows that uh, there's uh, this in, in includes um, senescent cells that are kind of induced by the production of, IL of uh, IL-17 by, by th 17 cells and that uh, IL-17 by blocking IL-17, this seems to be a way to reduce uh, improper uh, wound healing in the case of implants. Um, and I also went then for the American, the, the talks for the from the American Association of uh, Transplantation. Uh, they had a symposium too and I uh, was very interesting about the talk uh, talking about the regulation of CD8 T cells by FGL2, and this was Mandy Ford at MRE University, and she was, it was very interesting because she was looking into a particular receptor, Fc gamma receptor 2b, which she shows that is expressed in CD8 cells that are uh, mediating allograft rejection, and she shows that this receptor is actually uh, as an as inhibitory receptor that has an i domain. And that expression of this receptor on CD8 T cells is associated with a lower risk of rejection. And she does a lot of, well, of course, there's a lot of, of uh, work around understanding the, the role and how does this, this receptor mediate this this difference. And he shows that um, the activation of FC gamma receptor 2B in CD8 cells, she has an ova-expressing skin transplant, and then she injects OT1 cells, and then they respond to the to the allograft. And she shows that the expression of FC gamma receptor 2B on these cells is associated with an increased active uh, um, uh, caspase. And so uh, they, they kind of basically go apoptotic. So the question is, what is the ligand? So what is activating this receptor? And it seems to be, uh, there's a suppressive cytokine, FGL2, which binds to this receptor, which can be secreted by a FOXP3, T, uh, so by regulatory T cells, so they first look into that. Doesn't seem to be the regulatory T cells. So in the end, she shows that it's actually activated T cells themselves that are making uh, this uh, FGL2 and that they are kind of mediating their own activation. Um, so very interesting as well. So basically she has uh, FG, FGL2 is released from the CD8 T cells and it binds the the, the FC gamma receptor uh, to B and this initiates uh, apoptosis in the CD8 cells. Another interesting talk shows the effect of interferon beta and so on, on ways of modulating T. rex function. This was from Paolo Crabetti at Mount Sinai. He, he was looking at inducing radiatory t-cells for agrav survival. And um, one of the things he shows is that um, interferon beta uh, that has been used to treat uh, MS patients for a while, uh, it does. It, it is associated with increased frequency of circulating T. rex and Basically, he shows that um, interferon beta is uh, induces uh, an immunosuppressive program in Tregs and supports Treg fun- function um, and um, and in particular the acetylation of FOXP3 uh, in naive CD4 cells and therefore the induction of Treg uh, differentiation and that that's, this can have a uh, beneficial effect on reducing allograft, allograft rejection um, uh, through the action of T-Rex, for example, in the case of a, a heart transplant model. Um, and he also mentions uh, other other molecules that are known to to help T-Rex function. I was surprised by erythropoietin, which I wasn't completely aware, but he also shows that besides being important for anemia treatment, which is the main, main use of um, ipo. Uh, uh, it actually also uh, promotes uh, dendritic cells to induce T reg differentiation through production of TGF beta by these dendritic cells. And yeah, so there was one last T <laughs> Rex talk. I'm gonna just briefly say the the takeaway message. Looking into PPR delta receptors, the fir- the author was um. Uh, uh, Quijan Yang from the Salk Institute. And he basically showed uh, that PPR delta in T-rex is um, inhibiting the expression of MHC class two on the surface of T-rex. And that this, uh, so this negatively affects the function of regulatory T-cells. And on the other hand, uh, interferon, uh, type one interference, another way in which apparently they are, uh, supporting T-REX function is by inducing a C2TA and therefore MHE class II expression. And that uh, this is a mechanism by which t they are um, in suppressing conventional T-cells through kind of interacting with conventional T-cells. And then uh, for example, through cyto- uh, suppressive cytokine production, reducing their effects. So another way, f- another mechanism for t to uh, inhibit T conventional activation. So, yeah, it's a long day, a lot of stuff.
0: Uh, I, I'm not surprised you ended on T-Rex.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you got to so end on a high note.
0: Well, with that, that brings us end of today's Immunology 2023 episode. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter at Immunopodcast to find out what we're up to at the meeting. And we'll be back tomorrow after the half day of the meeting to cover the final bit of it on the podcast here. So check back tomorrow. See you then.